Welcome back to my dad's podcast, season two, My Blackest Challenge National. Follow him on Twitter or Instagram. Hope you enjoy the show. Bye! You are listening to My Black is Transnational. My name is Dr. Ebay Lambert, and coming up on today's episode, we'll be talking about the Global United Diaspora, which is an organization that was created by our guest for today, Ms. Nia Mohammed. We'll be talking about her experience and why she created an organization that's focused on uniting and connecting young professionals and professionals in, in general all across the diaspora for the betterment of improving Africa and the welfare of black people all over the world. All right, but before we get into that, let's go through our formalities. If this is your first time listening to My Black is Transnational, you can find this podcast on any of your favorite podcast listening apps, whether it be Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen to your podcast, you can find this podcast on there as well. You can also stay in touch with us by subscribing to the podcast. Or you can check out our website at www.blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast. We're also on Instagram. You can follow us at Black Transnational Podcast. And you can follow me, the host, on my personal Instagram page at blacktransnational underscore. So before I forget, you can also email us too at blacktransnational17 at gmail.com if you're ever interested in being a guest or joining our less gist episodes or you just want to be able to stay in contact and provide some feedback we're always looking for your feedback we're always trying to um, be better for you all and be able to provide the best content that you all enjoy and we appreciate your listening and your following and your support okay so for today's episode, I have a conversation with Ms. Nia Mohammed, who is the founder and the president of an organization named Global United Diaspora. And in this conversation, it's a very it's a very extended and extensive, insightful conversation that I have with um, Nia, who uh, originally was from the East Coast and went to Hampton, but then uh, went to the University of Illinois and then started her journey. Um, with Peace Corps and she talks about how her experience traveling to Africa inspired her to be able to then create this organization that is on the rise. Uh, We had a previous guest on this show, Mr. Michael Labronti, or Mike B as we um, affectionately know him as, who talked about his involvement with the organization as well. So I really wanted to share from a first-hand experience um, perspective how this organization came to be and the story of it um, we really don't get into their major um, work that they've done with when it comes to sustainability we'll try to save that for another part but we do get into the genesis of the organization and the start of it um, I do hope that you enjoy this conversation and without any further ado here is my talk with Miss Nia Mohammed from Global United Diaspora, also known as Good. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to my Blackest Transnational. And today we have on a special guest on the show uh, for an up and coming organization that I think you all need to know very much so about. Uh, that's doing a lot of great things back in the motherland and here in the United States. 
we have <laughs> on the show Miss Nia Muhammad, who is the founder and president of the Global United Diaspora, also known as Good. And this organization, Global United Diaspora, or known as Good, is a young multinational professional um, comprised organization that's focused on the sustainable, holistic development of Africa. And they do so many things. They had just an amazing conference like a couple of years ago, if not last year, forgive me. But um, we have Ania on the show to just bless us with her knowledge and experience. So thank you so much for joining the show, Nia. Thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be a part of this show. From the research that I've done, it really corresponds with the things that we do and my passion in life and then also just the mission of our organization and things like that. So I appreciate the invitation to be on the show. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And thank you so much for your time, because I know you you just came back from Africa not too long ago. You were just in Ghana for the year to return, right? Yes, yes. So actually, for 2019, I had been in Ghana three times. Okay. <laughs> so yes, I was there for the December holidays, a part of the year of the return as well. Okay. So yeah. So yeah. So and then we're going to we're going to dive into that a little bit more. But first, I want to just allow you to share with our listeners who you are. If you can just tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, where you're from, your passion, and and all that. We'd like to know you. Sure, sure. Yes, my name is Nia Muhammad. I am from Washington, D.C. originally. I grew up both in D.C. and also Chicago. My background, I went to Hampton University for two years in undergrad, and I, I transferred to University of Illinois Champaign. I studied architecture and Spanish. I did a minor in Spanish while I was at U of I. And then after grad school, I mean, after school, after undergrad, sorry, I worked for a little bit and then I did the Peace Corps. So I did Peace Corps in Morocco in the Sahara Desert for two years, focusing on community development and also youth, youth development projects. And that was an experience within itself. That was my first time living on the continent for so long or, you know, living anywhere for so long outside of America. And so learned a lot there. And I do think that that experience has led me to do some of the things that I'm doing now. So then after the Peace Corps, I worked in an architecture firm for about a year and a half, then decided to go to grad school. And so now I'm just finishing up grad school and I did a master's in architecture with a focus on real estate development and a master's in business. And so, yeah, that's that's pretty much my background. I personally want to know, like, how was Morocco? It was good. So Morocco by itself, like if you're just traveling there, I think it's an amazing country to travel in. There's It's very diverse. There's a lot of things to do. The different landscapes across the country are beautiful. And so that's good. The culture is very rich and the food is amazing. So that part is good. But now like, Morocco, as far as Peace Corps, that's a whole nother experience because you're, it's not just like the surface, you know, you're not just like traveling there for like a week or two. You're like living there, you're like interacting with your neighbors and your community, you're immersed in the community. So overall, it was a good experience. It was definitely challenging. They say Peace Corps is like the hardest job you'll ever love because it was definitely had its tough moments in regards to, you know, trying to understand the culture a bit or trying to navigate in a culture that's so different from where you grew up right. and different climate issues or not issues, but, you know, I lived in the desert, so that was really cool. But then sometimes it was a little bit, a little, a little rough as well. 
but yeah, overall, overall was good, but definitely some challenges for sure. So, you know, I, I wanted to, I want you to walk me through this. I, I want you to walk me through your experience because I find it very interesting, right? You said it was your first time living on a continent, you know, going mm-hmm. back and forth between DC and the shine. Like, what was that experience like for you to go from the United States, this westernized world, to right. Africa, and you have to now dive into this cultural experience for two years? Like, what were some of the, like, the cultural nuances or differences? Like, did you experience any cultural shock? Like, Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, I think one of the biggest cultural differences that kind of stick out in my mind are things that you know, Americans are either direct or indirect about. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like flip in other countries mm-hmm. and specifically, and like, especially in Morocco. Like, for example, in America, you wouldn't just flat out usually call people fat or too skinny or, you know, say things in reference to their appearance mm-hmm. because we we try to have a little bit more cool or we try to kind of beat around the bush a little bit mm-hmm. or just be more sensitive to people's, you know, feelings or something like that. But as far as like in Morocco, like if you have a friend and you say, okay, where is such and such? And they were like, oh, are you talking about your fat friend? Or are you talking about like your tiny friend right. or something like that, where we wouldn't say things like that. So I think like that directness and indirectness are kind of like switched. In America, I think we're very direct about about money a lot of times and about like prices of things or getting things done. Whereas in some other cultures and especially in Morocco, to me, there were some things in those areas where they would be more indirect just because that's kind of the culture. So like if you're asking direct questions about the price of something, when you're trying to bargain at the market, they're going to kind of beat around the bush a little bit, try to see, well, what would you like to pay? Or like, look at all these features on this instead of giving you the flat out price because, you know, they're trying to, to, to build, you know, something so that they can work with and then get to that part, you know, get to that business. Apart from like that indirectness and directness, I think a big cultural shock is the hospitality over there. Like Moroccans are some of the most hospitable people that I've ever encountered in my travels, and I've traveled quite a bit. So you can go over, say for instance, your host family's house, sorry, your host family's house, or just a friend in the community's house, and you might go over there for breakfast, and you have to literally like force yourself or pull yourself to leave because they're going to try to keep you there for like the entire day. Wow. They're going to try to feed you They're there. They eat several times a day. So there's breakfast and there's lunch. I mean, no, sorry, there's breakfast and then there's snack and then there's another snack and then there's lunch and then there's snack again and then dinner, which is usually really, really late. Like dinner in some houses can be nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Wow. And you, you still haven't eaten dinner yet. And so the amount of food that they fed us was also, you know, a shock because like it's in, I guess it's a part of their culture to make sure that you are satisfied, that you're full, that you're, that, you know, you feel like you're a part of the family. So they're going to feed you until you literally cannot eat anymore. And th- that's good. But then that also can be like, like literally I cannot stuff another piece of bread in my mouth or I will my my stomach is going to explode I think one day I counted and I had about like 20 cups of tea because tea is a big deal over there (laughs) so I could probably go on for days for like the different cultural differences and all of that 
I think that's really neat, you know, and, and I, the reason I wanted to inquire more about that is because, you know, on this show and even on other shows, we really don't talk a lot about countries like Morocco, right? We, mm-hmm. So we don't really know how relatable they are to the other African experiences. And it seems like there's right. some similarities there, you know, in regards to the hospitality, in regards to how Africans like to beat around the bush when it comes to talking business. They want to talk, they want to talk life with you. How's the family? How's this? How's that? First, before getting into business. And then you still have to haggle. There's not really a, you know, give me the direct price, but we need to negotiate and, and, and try to, you know, banter back and forth. So I, I can even see some of the parallels in, in the culture. And, and I've, n- I've never been there before. So it's, it's very interesting. Um, now, you mentioned, you know, you traveled a lot. Now, what before I get into like good and, and the whole inspiration for good, I wanted to know like what, how many countries have you traveled to and like what inspired your connection with Africa? Like why did you why Africa, not Europe, not other places? Like So I mean, I think I've traveled to maybe twenty five or twenty six countries the last time I counted. Mm-hmm. And some of those countries definitely were in Europe, some of them in South America. In Africa, I think I've traveled to Morocco, Liberia, Kenya, Egypt, and Ghana. So that's five countries in, on the continent. So I first started traveling, I think, like on a cruise with my mom and my family and things like that. And it was to, to the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And once I got a taste of travel, I think I knew that th- that was a, a part of who I was and who I was destined to be anyway. Traveling and finding other people who look like me have has definitely become my passion. And so even when I go to different European countries, so say for instance, I studied abroad in Spain for a semester. And probably Bilbao is one of the that's where I studied the town. The town I studied in is called Bilbao. It was probably one of the whitest towns that I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. Like literally don't cannot find any other black people on the street. But then myself and one of my friends who I was studying abroad with, she was Jamaican and she's actually the vice president of my org- of good the organization we were determined to find other black people and we said we, there has to be other black people in this in this town so we you know searched around looked at different flyers for events happening and then found like an african party that was happening and then that kind of introduced us to the entire you know black community within that city and i think since then everywhere i go I make sure to find people who look like me or people of African descent or, you know, those communities because they're usually kind of hidden away, mm-hmm. but they're gems within these different different towns and communities and such and things like that. But specifically why I feel like I'm more more drawn to working and doing programs and towards African countries or just other countries that have high population people of African descent mm-hmm. is just my upbringing. I think my both of my parents are very, you know, pro-black, pan-Africanist, and that was instilled in me in a very young age that I need to be involved, I need to be aware, and I need to be informed of what's happening within the black community globally. And then I think with my travel experiences, that's helped me to do so, meeting different people and becoming friends with them, and then also like visiting them in their own countries. You know, it's been great experiences for me has really opened my eyes up to different possibilities in the world, mm-hmm. different cultures, different realities, but then also how all of those kind of intertwine and are related and how there's 
you know, commonalities between our different cultures, regardless of how far we may be from each other. So, so then now how did good start? How did these conversations between you and you said your vice president, like what inspired the establishment of this organization that's doing amazing things? That's a good question. So I think I had the epiphany for good, like maybe my second or third time when I was in Ghana. So I've been to Ghana maybe six times so far. And it was during Peace Corps. So Peace Corps, you know, I was in Morocco and then I took a break from Peace Corps and went to Ghana because my mom was there and we were doing some projects there. And it was actually on the road from the Volta region of Ghana up to the north of the country where I kind of had epiphany. There's so many um, there's so many young black people like myself and like people that I know, my friends and some colleagues that are doing amazing work within their field, whether that be humanitarian work, whether that be work like within their profession. And I was just thinking about the resources that we all have and the resources that maybe we don't have, but could be in our reach if we kind of came together and sought out the different resources. To me, it became clear that in order for us to do anything of substance and of anything of like high impact, it would need to be together. It would need to be a group of us doing things collectively, brainstorming, coming up with different ideas, bringing everything together, and then kind of going out to face the world. Like we see these different problems within our communities. Like we see them every day. We talk about them all the time. But when is talking going to be you know, when is, when are we going to stop talking about it and just start doing stuff about it, right. right? So at that time, like, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that it had to be with a collective group of people, of like-minded individuals. And so I started just to reflect on the people that I've known or that I know, you know, throughout my life. And especially, like, within co- the college years and, you know, those more, those more productive years of life, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, I just reflected on some people and came up with kind of a list of people that I know had similar values, who had who are very passionate about black community globally, that are very passionate about Africa and about like giving back or that had that I felt that had like good spirits, good energy and all that stuff. And so I kind of came up with a list of people that I wanted to reach out to. And then I started reaching out to people. And so a couple of people, you know, went to U of I with me with me. Rachel, we did study abroad together. And then other people I just met in different avenues or different events in my life, mostly through traveling. So, yeah, that's how that's kind of how it started. And then the conversation was I essentially told them that I had a had an idea. I didn't know if, what, if it was if it was going to be an organization or a company or a business. I didn't know what yet, but I know I wanted to start something with all of us in regards to uplifting the black community and the, you know, the and within the African diaspora and on the continent of Africa itself. I think that's dope because. It, you had an idea and you weren't just about that talking, but you were about that action. You found the people you felt could could actually, you know, put things in motion. You had the skills and the talent and then you just pushed it forward. So, you know, I think one right. of the things you brought to my attention was you talked about some of the similar values and some of the, the values in, in, in uplifting the black community. And I think, you know, I want to know for someone who was born in the U.S. and and you know is now doing things in you know in Africa in the continent or in in various places of the diaspora 
what has that experience been like for you, like for some of the events and the charity work and conferences? I know you all had a conference that you did. Like, what was that like being in Ghana or, you know, uh, being in Kenya, like providing this service and seeing people on the continent who would just who share the same color as you? And, and like, what was that like? I think it's always very fulfilling. And I don't know, it just, it's, it's, it, it holds a special place in my heart. I think just because I know, and I think I've always known that this is the work that I kind of was put here on this earth to do. So it's very fulfilling. And I think when I do other things or when I'm like not doing this type of work, then I feel like I'm not, I'm not in alignment of what, I, of what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. Um, so when we're on the continent, when we're in Ghana, when we're in Kenya and we're doing the work, you know, all of our hearts are really into it. And I think it's just a beautiful experience for us, especially like some of the people who are within within my nonprofit, they might be Americans or they might be um, from the Caribbean. Half of them, half of the organization is probably like um, African immigrants that are living in America or that are first generation, you know, youth. But when we get the opportunity to go back or go to a place all together and working on a common goal is just really fulfilling for us. And I think it brings us a lot of a lot of joy, a lot of we're able to reflect a lot and kind of see how this will align with what we want to do in life. And that's another thing that I wanted to do with the organization is really allow black youth, really, um, and people our age, you know, the 25 and up crowd and even young people, younger people as well, but allow us the opportunity to do these things, allow us the opportunity to bring our skill sets together to make an impact somewhere across the diaspora, whether it be in Africa, whether it be in Caribbean, whether it be, you know, within the States as well, because we have a lot of work to do in the States. And since a lot of us are from, or are, you know, we're born in the States, we can't forget our communities in the States as well. So yeah, I just think I, the word I would say is just like really fulfilling. It's always very fulfilling to to do the work that we're doing and to know that that we're we're going to keep on growing. Like we really want to grow the work that we're doing. And yeah, looking for opportunities to do that is like where our mind is. <laughs> so, so like what are some of the things that Good has done recently or even in the past that you all are very proud of and would like for people to know about that you're going to continue to build on? Yeah, so um, the biggest thing that we've done so far was the conference in Ghana in August. So it was August 2019, so a couple months ago. <clears throat> and the point of that conference was to bring together Black and African nonprofits, mm-hmm. innovators, and also just impactful people within the communities for us to all come together and to unify and to also share with each other the work that we're doing. Right. Because there's so many people, there's so many great people and organizations across Africa, across America and across you know the Caribbean that are doing impactful work for black people. The problem is a lot of us don't know who they are and we don't know who you know, we don't know who who each other are um, in terms of, for example, <clears throat> if I'm building a well in Kenya, there might be another organization that might be 20 minutes away who's doing the exact same thing, who has the exact same mission right. as what we're doing. And there's, if, if we're unaware that each other exists, then there can be no collaboration there. There, there cannot be any um, you know, unity there in order to do something even bigger. 
So the point of the conference was to bring these different people together and bring these different organizations together in order to kind of facilitate that to for future collaboration and for innovative innovative you know workshops as well for us to come together and say okay this is what you're doing this is what you're doing how can we bring those together what are some innovative technologies or thoughts or ideas that we may be able to come to together really support each other and all that stuff and then the second component to the conference was to um kind of bring the resources that some of us need in order to do bigger and better things, right? So within the nonprofit sector, Black NGOs and African NGOs, we get a very small percentage of the funds that are allocated towards nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is because of, you know, lack of information or lack of resources or just not knowing where to go to find these different resources that we may need to help us out. And so at that conference, we brought in, you know, different specialists and professionals within grant writing and within fundraising and donor relationships and things like that so that we can all get a better understanding of how we can, you know, raise money and solicit uh, solicit donations, things like that. And then we also brought in someone who who specializes in brand and like branding and marketing that was able to teach different people how to tell their stories more effectively so that they can get more support and so that they can get, you know, more people who are interested in their causes, which I thought was very, very important. So, yeah, so that was that was the conference. And it was it was really successful. We had about 130 people to attend the conference. And that was, you know, our first conference. And we did it all away from like our homes, right? We did it internationally. So that was kind of a big deal for me and definitely a big deal for for my group because we didn't know what we were getting into, but we we believed in it. We knew that it needed to happen. And essentially, we want that conference to be the first of many. And we, uh, we want it to be rotating. So, you know, last year was in Ghana. Next year, we'll have it somewhere else. And then maybe, you know, one year it's in the Caribbean, one year it's in Africa, one year it's in the States and kind of just keep rotating it so that, you know, the local people that we're serving can have access to what, to what we're doing. Um, And then continuously just bring, uh, building that gap between different communities across the world. That's the biggest thing that we've done. Apart from that, you know, we've done um, in Kenya, we helped to build like a small library for a school, for uh, elementary school. And we also did a youth development camp for at-risk youth within a community. It's called Kibera mm-hmm. in Nairobi, which is like one of the biggest urban settlements of people in, I think, on the continent of Africa. And so, you know, some people call Kibera a slum. I don't know if that's, you know, technically correct, but it definitely is, you know, an urban settlement, very large and has a lot of poverty and um, a lot of different issues. And we focused on doing a youth development camp to bring about 20 young girls and 20 young guys. The Most of the girls were teen mothers. Just bring them different skills and um, resources for them to be inspired to live more productive lives. And so we focused on mental health and overall physical health, on goal setting, on leadership and things like that, capacity building. So that's what we did in Kenya. We still have a lot of plans for Kenya over this next year, but maybe we can go into that later. Okay. But then apart from that, we we do 
you know, we've done some small things within the states, and within this year, 2020, we want to really pick up the momentum on what we're doing in the states, especially as far as mentorship and some things that we're doing for, like, you know, health fairs and things like that. But yeah, those are those were our two biggest things that we did. Um, but we've done other small things, like in Ghana, while we were there for the conference. There's a there's a um, orphanage that I work with and that I've been working with probably since 2013, and so we were able to buy the kids at the orphanage a lot of different new mattresses, so the um, new mattresses, new sheet sets, and all that stuff. Um, also fix some of the plumbing and the water tanks so that they can have access to the water fixing different electrical fixtures and things like that, other small things around the around the campus to improve like improve um some things on the campus. Yeah, that's those are those are the major things that we've done so far. But we still have a lot we have a lot to do. <laughs> I mean you just listed a whole I mean you just listed a whole plethora of things that you all have done in such a short amount of time. And I think you mentioned <laughs> something which well first before I even continue, I just want to congratulate you and your and your team on the amazing work that you all are doing, because that's not something that just happens like that in a short amount of time, unless there is a, there's a synergy and there's a concerted effort to really want to make that change happen. So that's amazing. And I want to just congratulate you all for that because, um, I mean, I think it's incredible. And thank you. Yeah, of course. And, um, you know, I think you touched on something that you actually helped me with my segue because you mentioned what you what you plan to do and what you've kind of done in the States. And I was going to ask, like, what are some of the things you have done? Um, but I think you kind of touched on it already, what you plan to do, mentoring and all that. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to know, because I think the United States is a very interesting place because you have the Black community here in the U.S. is very diverse. Um, not to say right. it isn't in other countries, but here is very diverse because we have African-Americans, we have Caribbeans, we have African immigrants, right? And I want to just kind of take it a step back to talk about like your experiences before even you started good. Like, did when you were growing up, you said your parents really um, made a, a strong effort to to bring you up and make sure that you are aware of you know your black community and and make sure that you're you're Pan African. But I wanted to know what your experience was like. Did you notice that tension that exists between African Americans and and black immigrants? Or was that something that you didn't never experience because of your upbringing? Right. That's a good question. So I don't think I really noticed it until college. Mm. I think probably before then, I, I may have just been oblivious to it because I was like, oh, we're one people. Everything's great. And my experiences with people of different cultures have always been pretty positive. Although, you, may, you know, you may hear some things, you know, some mean things that, you know, kids say as you're growing up, right. but you don't really either identify it or you don't really understand the complete impact or the the reasons behind it, you know, as a child. I think the first time I really understood some of the tension was in college when a colleague of mine, African colleague of mine, uh, well, he's my friend, so <laughs> he mentioned something about why Black Americans were not as progressive or as, as far along as they should be in regards to, you know, us being lazy or making excuses for different things. And that was kind of like my my first encounter with that. But I think since then, I've heard a lot of different things from both sides. African-Americans having certain feelings about African immigrants, not not all of them, of course, or not even most of them, but there are some people within within the cultures that have some of these divisive 
mindset. And to, it's, it's really heartbreaking, honestly. But I think if you look at the history of our people, um, of African-Americans, of Africans, of Caribbean folks, of people just within the diaspora in general, we all have different trials and tribulations and a lot of obstacles and a lot of hardships that we went through that I think some of those, some of those things that we went through intentionally or were placed there intentionally in order to divide people, in order to divide people of African descent. As long as like, when you understand that a lot of the d- division that, that we see today was intentional, um, then you can kind of look at it in a different lens or with a different lens and not be so angry when you look at it, but kind of be more understanding to it. And then when you're understanding of it and understanding why it's happened um, the way it happened, then that's when you can kind of look for a solution, right? Because if you're just angry about something, then you're just, you're going to talk about it. You're going to be upset about it, but nothing's really going to get done about it. But when you kind of look at it to, to, you know, understand why it happened the way it happened, then you can kind of say, all right, how do we move forward from here? And how do we not keep pushing the same narrative? Okay, African-Americans are this way, or African immigrants are this way, or, you know, Africans don't like Americans, or Americans don't like Africans, and things like that. I think there's, there's a lot of ignorance around the area and around the topic, and there's a lot of pain. And so with ignorance and pain, you know, those are not two, those are, those are not good combinations. That's not a, a, a combination um, that's productive. So you kind of have to look past that and look for ways or look towards other people who have the same mindset of bringing people together. Because there are there are a lot of people out there who are interested in that, who are interested in pan, you know, pan-Africanism. And then on the other side, there's a lot of people who are not. And maybe they just are not at that level yet. They're not, they haven't gotten to the point yet where they see the necessity in unity. But hopefully, eventually, they'll get to that point. For the rest of us who are ready for, you know, that unification, then we just have to start from where we are and really kind of grab each other and say, all right, it's time to build. And all these other things that are, that's more divisive, we kind of have to put that to the wayside. Like, we understand what it is. We understand why it's there. And now we're about to go in a whole different direction because we understand the power of our unity. And we understand why it's necessary for us to be unified in order for us to all, like, uplift each other across the community, across the globe, really. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, one more question to follow up on that, because I think that was well said. When you went to Africa, were you received in any of those manners that you just alluded to about how Africans, you know, see African-Americans or vice versa? I mean, were you received well? Was Did you have to prove yourself? Like, how was that when you go to Ghana or you go to any country in, in Africa? Yeah, I think for the most part, like, I would say maybe 95%, like, it's positive experience. Mm-hmm. Every country is different, of course, because, you know, the, the relation that, the relationship between, or how Americans are perceived in Morocco is a little different from how they're perceived in Ghana. And especially being a person of my complexion. So I would say, I don't know, maybe I'm caramel complected. So being a caramel complected African-American is I'm going to have different experiences everywhere I go. So in the North of Morocco, for example, people think I'm from Senegal instantly, like, because most black people who they see within Morocco are Senegalese and that's the North. But then in the South of Morocco, there's more black people. So if I cover my hair, I fit in with them 100%. 
And, you know, since I can speak the language, you know, they would think I'm Moroccan just off the bat. But then once they realize that I'm American, they have a lot of questions about that because there's a lot of misconceptions about black people in America, within Morocco specifically. As far as in Ghana, I think I've always been very well received. There's been some instances where, especially in the rural areas, they're not used to seeing black Americans, right? Like black Americans is just not a, a thing that that's completely understood by everyone. So usually when foreigners are coming over, maybe 95% they're either white, maybe the other 5% is that they're Asian. So they know white people and they know Chinese people. Mm. So in the rural areas, the Volta region is where I traveled to like the first time that I was in Ghana and the first couple of times when I was in Ghana was the Volta region. And so that's more, more rural than of course Accra. And so a lot of times like they would call myself or you know, my mom was there, they would call us Yevos, and Yevos be white people. Mm. When we get called Yevos, we're like, what? Like, what? You're calling me white? <laughs> and that, <laughs> just that experience in itself is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I've been a struggling Black American, like, you know, struggling <laughs> with my Blackness in America my entire life. And they're like, all right, I'm coming over to Africa now to, like, be with my people. And now y'all calling me white? <laughs> so initially, it's kind of, like, <laughs> kind of heartbreaking. But the longer we stayed within the community, and my mom, I think she did the first, the first effort of, like, letting people know what Black Americans are and that are, we're descendants from West Africans. And, you know, just telling them, informing them about the history. Yeah. Although there is, there is some knowledge of the history, but it's different to like kind of hear a story about that type of stuff and then see people who are descendants and having to put two and two together, right? Yeah. For some people, it's kind of just like a light switch. Like, all right, we know that some of our people were stolen away from here, but to see you guys in the flesh back here and you guys being a little bit lighter than us, all right, that, that it takes like some time to fully process that mm-hmm. and fully understand that. So that's that's one experience being like coming back, you know, coming to to the continent or coming to Ghana. But that's more in a rural setting. Overall, I think Ghana is one of the warmest places in terms of like people. People are like the people of Ghana are very warm. They're very nice, very friendly. And so overall, I think my experience has been um, extremely positive in in that. And, you know, most people who understand the transatlantic slave trade and all that stuff, you know, they're welcoming you with open arms back, you know, back home, essentially. And I think that was the whole momentum of the year's return is like really welcoming, welcoming people of African descent back home and connecting with roots, connecting with the people there and all that stuff. So yeah, it's always, it's always been very positive. That's pretty cool. You know, it's funny. I laugh as well because of the story of you being called white, you and your mom being called white because um, really quickly, my so my wife um, traveled with me back to Nigeria a couple of years back. She's been with me like two times in a row, but this time she went with me to the village or as some people would call mm-hmm. it, the rural. And, um, you know, funny, my wife is light-skinned as well. And uh, so she, for the first time, was like my uncle or somebody was talking to him. And, you know, my uncle was trying to tell his, you know, one of my little cousins, a baby, he was like, can you say hi to the white lady? 
right? And like, <laughs> and my wife is looking like, what? Like, I'm, I'm, about as black, I'm about as black as they come, you know, she thinking she, and I'm like, nah, that ain't, that ain't it. So it's so funny that right. you actually can actually like confirm that because it's like, she felt like she was the only one. And I'm like, nah, you're not the only one who's experienced this. So um, I appreciate you sharing that. So really quickly, because we're a little bit pressed for time, kind of wrapping up, I wanted to, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you two more questions. And one it was just something you mentioned as far as the misconceptions of black people in America. And I know our listeners would like to know what were some of those misconceptions. If you could just quickly share some of them. You don't have to go into great detail, but I think they'd be interested to kind of know a little bit about some of the misconceptions that are out there. Sure, sure. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that black people in America are violent, uneducated, and just I guess it seemed like we don't really have home training or things like that, especially when I say, all right, I'm coming from Chicago, you know, and obviously Chicago has kind of been a hot topic over the past couple of years uh, mm-hmm. with violence and gangs and all that stuff. And so <clears throat> usually when I say I'm coming from the States, specifically from Chicago, then there's always a question like, isn't it dangerous there? Like, aren't you afraid to get shot? Or I'm not going to go to Chicago because I think I'm going to get shot or I'm not going to come to America because I always hear about you know, this thing, these things are that thing with police brutality and things like that as well. Some of the concerns are definitely valid, but it's not at that scale, right? Mm-hmm. So that was one thing. Another thing is us just being kind of uneducated or lazy. There being so many different opportunities in America, so why aren't all of us rich? Or the misconception of us all being rich, right? right? So <laughs> coming to the continent and or come into like specific communities and people are just really looking at you kind of like it's a cash cow. Like, all right, you can give us this, you can buy us that. And I'm like, yo, I'm a student. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have any money. Like I can't, I can't do that. That's another misconception. And those are the main ones really. I think you covered most of the, the key ones that I've also experienced myself personally. Um, all right. So last question before we wrap up is what do you think is the future for good organization and um like what do you what do you want to be the ultimate outcome for your organization when it's all said and done i really want good to be an organization that's known globally by our people as the organization that really has helped african communities and african diaspora communities globally in all different capacities so what we focus on, our sectors are sustainable design, infrastructure, education, health, agriculture, and community development as a whole. Mm-hmm. And all of those different sectors, we want to be working on you know, programs and projects across the globe that will turn into long-term sustainable endeavors. So whether it be you know, us really seeing the need for clinics, community centers, schools, or complete communities, like a complete community development for different places across the globe. I think we want to be at that level where we can where we can do that, where we can also send relief to different countries or to different communities that need relief aid. So, for example, you know, the Caribbean is constantly getting hit with different natural disasters, hurricanes and earthquakes and things like that. Yeah. We want to be able to send doctors and engineers and um, specialists and people who can really help out these different people in different communities and different efforts in order to to really get people back on their feet when these disasters do happen. Mm -hmm. But then also to be proactive, like from the sustainable design perspective, if we're designing 
designing houses and designing buildings in a way where they can withstand these different, you know, earthquakes or hurricanes or, or um, you know, strong winds and things like that and flooding and such and things like that. But just overall, we want to have different hubs in across the globe. So we want to have hubs, you know, a hub within the states, which will probably uh, most likely be in Chicago because that's where most of our United States group is. Having a hub in the, in Chicago, having a hub in West Africa, having a hub in East Africa, having a hub within the Caribbean and within like South and Central America. And for those hubs to be operated locally, so having people locally be a part of good and be just being a part of that global vision of us really uplifting the entire global African population, you know, wherever there's a need there. And so for us to just keep growing and expanding in that capacity. And when it's all said and done for our communities to just be better off because of, you know, the impact that good has had within within the communities across the globe. That's dope. Appreciate <laughs> that. So thank you so much on behalf of the show. Just want to thank you, Miss Leah Muhammad, for taking the time to share just your experience with us. And, and, and I think, you know, one thing that you may not have noticed, I didn't really ask too many questions about sustainability and things of that nature, because I know that's your expertise and some of the things you're passionate about, because I want to save that for the next time you join the show. I really do hope you join us again sometime in the future so we can go a little bit deeper into, you know, issues related to water scarcity and things of that nature that good is actually working towards aiding and, and sending relief to, or providing relief to, I should say, um, but I really want right. to use this opportunity to just introduce you to our listeners and to other people who may really benefit. And speaking of that, like how could other professionals who may be interested in, in being part of good or being able to volunteer and, and contribute their talents and skills, how can they reach you? Thank you for asking that because we're definitely, um, we definitely want to collaborate with people. We definitely want people to, you know, continue to um, join our organization, especially who have skill sets that can move us towards our goal of, you know, positive, positively impacting our people. And so our website is globalgood.org. Good is spelled G-U-D. So globalgud.org. You can learn more information on our website for sure. You can, you can follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is globalu.diaspora. Um, and you can find us on Facebook, Global United Diaspora. Those are the best ways to, to reach us. And um, we're, very, we're, we're active on all our social media. And so if you leave us a message on there, want to connect with us, you can do that there. If you want to learn more about the organization, you can um, go to our website and even send us some messages and things like that on there. We'll get back to you guys. Fantastic. Once again, sis, I appreciate you and your time. Whatever you need from us over here at My Black is Transnational, please believe that we are here to serve as well. Whatever way that we can, uh, we are here to support. More power to you all and, and more love. And I, and I wish you all continued success and best believe we'll definitely collab on something in the near future. Yeah, I really appreciate being on here. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to be able to share the work that Good is doing. We definitely, we definitely love the support and need the support in order for us to continue to support our communities. We definitely need the support of our community, right? We need the support of young professionals and people like us who are doing positive things. So please check us out. Please support us in whatever way that you guys can. And we really appreciate all of it. Thank you so much. So that's going to conclude this episode of My Black is Transnational. I'd like to thank our guest, Ms. Nia Muhammad, for joining us on this episode and sharing with us her journey and the creation of such a wonderful organization. 
please support Global United Diaspora by following them on their Instagram page. They would really appreciate your support. You can follow us on Instagram as well at Black Transnational Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Black Transnational underscore. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe this podcast on your favorite podcast listening apps. And you can check out our website at www.blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast. Until next time, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. My name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts. My Black is Transnational. And I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace.